Well, it is certainly a joy to be back in, in this setting. And I think uh, myself, as, long, as well as all of us, have just realized the utter value and importance of being with one another, uh, together one another. When, I was, uh, when we were praying, hearing the voices of fellowship occurring around, and, and uh, just uh, how we have been without that, and how rich it is to have it again, and song as well. It is sometimes difficult to sing when you haven't sung in a while and you have forgotten just how wonderful it is to sing, and it kind of overcomes you. And I hope you are recognizing a thanks go out to all of the people who have been uh, handling some of the music uh, ministries as well. And I know uh, I've been throwing a few curveballs with that, trying to maybe get some songs uh, showing you how the music correlates to our, our worship correlates to our our doctrines that we've been learning in the uh, attributes of God so wherever we have the opportunity to do that we'll we'll continue to do that and I'm grateful for those that um, can can do that for us so well um, I'll tell you it's been a it's been an interesting morning already I almost didn't make it to you guys today uh, just had a real surprise um, situation happened in Rapid that uh, oh, maybe if you watch the news you'll be able to find out about, but just a very critical um, accident and situation that needed uh, attention, but we worked through it, able to zip down here and uh, with you now here uh, this morning. So praise God for his provision, and uh, I'd just like to offer this time up in prayer as we um, begin our time together in the Word today. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pause to thank you for the ability to be back uh, with one another today and I think um, of all of the difficult things that come out of this situation this is one thing that we are learning for sure Lord that that we love you and we love your church and we love your body the members of it and Father um, we just ask in the days ahead that you would guide that you would manifest your presence here even this morning in um, in a time that we so need you, and we need to rely upon you. Thank you for these dear people who have come to worship. Thank you for their hearts and their attentiveness to your word, Lord. May you speak to each and every heart today, meet every need um, from your very inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And we pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Well, if you would uh, mind making your way to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. I like all the psalms, and I, I have many favorites, but 139 is definitely one that tops the list for me. Uh, this morning, as I was uh, contemplating this topic, uh, I, I truly could say I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it is, um, it is just a joy to be able to have this opportunity to, to uh, teach God's word to you and, and for you. And Psalm 139 is such a perfect psalm for us where we are at today in our continuance with the attributes of God. Now, as you know, if you've been tracking with the online services that we've been doing, we've been covering a number of attributes of our God, our great and marvelous God. We began early on looking at the eternal nature of God and his infinitude and, and his spiritual nature, that spiritually he is more vast than the, uh, the galaxies of outer space. We talked about how yet while he is vast, he is personal and that he knows each and every one of us, that he is sovereign and that he hasn't just uh, created the world 
washed his hands, stepped back and let it kind of run and figure out its own way, but that he's intimately involved in the function of the world. We learn that he is holy and that this separates him from every and all creatures and that he is holy in the sense of being separate, but also holy being morally pure. And last week we discussed that he is immutable. That is, he does not change. And that kind of reflects the little uh, song that we just sang, Abide With Me. You saw that line in there, that he who changes not. We need a God like that to abide with us, to, to be our God. Well, today I'm going to begin what will be three more attributes. We won't get all three covered today, but in this psalm, in such a masterful way, the, um, the, the writer David here captures the next three attributes we're going to be studying. And those are the attributes of God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence. Now those might be pretty fancy words for us, and we'll explain each one. I've summarized the entire lesson today under the title of Our Omni-God. Just had to have a shorter way to say all those big words. They're a mouthful. But, but our omni-God, and we'll explain that here in just a moment here. But um, I am conscious of the fact that our subject matter, God, is not getting any easier. I am conscious of the fact that it is taking a lot of bit, uh, a, a bit of brain power. And uh, I admit that I know too little about the topic. And I admit that I need to... Um, you know, strive to, to be the sounding board of this topic for you, but uh, I, I need to know God better, and, and I need to, to interact with him more in his word, and, and so I want you to know that I am benefiting myself as well. I'm just praying that you'll somehow be encouraged by this and strengthened, and that God in some way through the foolishness of preaching these attributes would be glorified. So we're going to talk about these attributes this morning, and as I introduce them, I want to just get us ready for this because it's important to understand, first of all, that these are three comforting attributes. Just by way of introduction, these attributes are to be a comfort to you. And I hope that you are seeing that as we go here. For the believer, they are a comfort. They are a reassurance. They are a calming and consoling truth that we own. And if you really are honest with the attributes, as we will see them, they are yours to own. This is our God. Behold, our God. It's not their God. It's our God. And he has placed his special love upon us. But let me say this, that while these attributes are comforting, they are also a terror as well. It's a double-edged sword, the attributes of God. For the unbeliever, they are very unsettling, as they ought to be. They are very worrisome, as they ought to be. And we'll see this play out. But the unbeliever, unlike us, has a very unsettled relationship with God, do they not? It is unsettled. It is unsure. It is precarious. And so when the unbeliever hears the attributes, it shakes them to the core if they are taking them seriously. So they're comforting. They're terrifying in the same breath. And let me just say before we jump into the text, these attributes are attributes of God, not man. It's very important to understand this, especially in, in a uh, world where man typically makes his own God after his own image, which typically is after himself, right? I always joke that God made man in his image, and then man returned the favor. And it doesn't work that way. It never was intended to work that way. But if you look at the Greek gods, that's what they did, right? They just looked at their biggest, uh, nicest-looking, buffest, smartest, whatever the attribute of man was, and then they blew them big. 
into Greek gods. And so every Greek god is just man-blown big. And we need to understand when we study the attributes of God, it is not man-blown big. You can never find God by shouting man loudly. You will always just have man. And so it's important to understand that these are attributes of God. And Psalm 50 verse 21 says, You thought I was altogether like you. How wrong you were. How wrong you were. And this is why we have 66 books of Revelation, so that we can hear from God himself how he is actually like. Well, with that as our introduction, let's begin by reading the psalm in our hearing. Psalm 139. I'll start in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And you know when I sit down and when I rise up. And you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And you have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. And if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the light, uh, the night rather, is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you did form my inward parts. You did weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, as yet when there was not yet one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. I hope that in that text you're beginning to see kind of where we're going with this. We're going to learn about God today and his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence from this. Now, if you're taking notes, and I think there's these available for you on each table here, we're going to just begin with the first point, and that is that God is omniscient. We're just going to uh, lay that term out there. If you're having a little trouble spelling it, if you look down at A on your notes there, there's a form of that word that you can... Uh, make it out there. But we're going to talk first of all here about God being omniscient. Now, what does this word mean? This is not a Greek word. This is not a Hebrew word. This is actually a Latin word. And that's okay. We'll explain this because our English language is based on Greek and Latin. And so while this term isn't in the Bible, the concept is everywhere in Scripture. And it just happens to be the Latin, is, which is the vehicle that it was brought to us for our English language. So let's pick this word apart so we know what we're talking about here. Omnus in, in Latin simply means all. If you want to write that word there next to omnus, or it means in all ways. 
Scientia in Latin means science. It's just like what the word looks like there. It means knowledge and to know something. So together, when we put this word together, omnus or omniscientia, it means to have all knowledge. Just the words itself can help us define what this word means. Omniscientia means to have all knowledge. So the working definition there written in for you is the attribute of God, whereby he knows all things, whether actual or possible. Now, let's see if this definition plays out from the scriptures, because it's one thing if we're pulling doctrines out of our thumbs, right? It's one thing if we're just making this stuff up, but it's another thing if we can find it, if the scripture argues for it, which it does this morning. So let's look at our, our text here and see if God is, in fact, omniscient. Now, if you're taking notes underneath omniscience exposit, we're just going to look at these six verses really quick here for this first point. And in verse 1, we learn that God reveals, God has an intimate knowledge, if you'd write down, of our unique personality. You see, what you're going to notice today is that God's knowledge not only is comprehensive of the entire world, but because you're part of his creation, it is comprehensive of you as well as his creature. He knows your unique personality. Well, you note the text, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me powerful, powerful truth that our God searches us and he knows us. And here the psalmist begins with himself, and it's not always wrong to begin with yourself. He begins here yet with acknowledging God as the originator of himself. But you have searched me, God. Whoever I am and whatever I am and whatever constitutes me, Whatever makes me to be who I am, Lord, you know who I am. And sometimes we don't even know ourselves if we're honest with ourselves. But God knows our unique personalities in all of your complexities, in all of your idiosyncrasies, in all of your goofiness, in all of your temperament, in all of your dispositions, all of who makes you, you. God knows you. And he has actually designed you, as we will see later. And don't we want this? Don't we want somebody to understand us here? Well, here God says, uh, uh, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Well, let's continue in verse 2. Not only does he know our unique personalities, but he knows our unique rhythms of daily life. He knows the rhythms of our daily life. Look at verse 2. It says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. And uh, this is uh, important to note here that this is basically saying God knows us when we are sleeping. He knows us when we arise. He knows us when we lie down. He knows all of the circumstances of our day, things which are so incidental to our lives, which we maybe don't even give them a second thought. But God has already known all of this stuff. And God knows this and he tracks this, the rhythms of our daily life and our schedules and times we arise and times we eat and times we go back to bed and start the cycle over again. These rhythms are things that God is intimately acquainted with us. Also in verse 2, would you note that he also knows the secret aspects of our heart. He knows everything. And even the secret aspects of our heart, verse 2, you understand my thought from afar. So not only when I rise and wake up and make my way through the day and navigate all the appointments that I have to be at and such, 
But you know what's in my mind, God. You know what I'm thinking about. You know what I'm processing. You know some of my worries. You know some of my concerns. You know some of my dreams and aspirations. And you know, oh God. This is speaking so highly of our God who knows and understands the secrets of the human heart. You are not far. You are far. The thoughts are away in a sense. But you are, there's an intimacy here. All my plans, all my meditations, in the innermost part of who I am in, in, in my thought life, you know this, Lord. Look at verse 3. We're given another element of omniscience here. Uh, not just the secret aspects of the heart, but the direction of my life. It says, you, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. You scrutinize my path. It has a picture here of an individual walking along a way, walking along a path, and God is there scrutinizing that path, looking, watching, guarding, protecting, guiding as we make our way. Only a God with omniscience and ultimate knowledge. And by the way, this is just not for my path. This is for each and every one of your paths. How does he do this? How do the complexities of all of our lives and how we all had our paths meet here today culminate with God knowing where we're all going to then scatter to this afternoon and then start the whole week. It's just, it's just such, such knowledge here. You scrutinize all of my ways. You know where my life is going. You know where my life has been. You know what lies ahead. I don't know what lies ahead, but you know, oh God. And I'm just saying, we, we have to begin to rely on the God who knows these things and not on ourselves who are trying to assess all of these things. I think often of Job uh, 23, where uh, Job is under trial. And he says some interesting words here. Because these are helpful to us because we, sen- we, we don't always sense God guiding us, right? We don't always sense him in our path. But Job, Job can relate to this. In Job 23, verse 8, he says, Behold... I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. And when he turns on the right, I cannot see him. And so there's a sense of frustration also with our God who is invisible, right? We know he's there, which we'll look at in the next portion of this verse, but we can't always perceive him. We can't always see him, and we move forward, and we don't necessarily sense him. We move back and left and right. But look at this. Here's the hope in verse 10. But he knows. He knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, these famous words from Job, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What Job is saying here is I can't always sense what God's doing. I can't always perceive the steps. But he knows, and he knows through his Omniscience. Well, let's continue. Verse 4, we're given another factor of what God's, God knows, not just our unique personality and our rhythms of life and the secrets of our heart and the directions of our life. But verse 4, God even knows our preformed speech. Our preformed speech. That is speech that you haven't said yet. God knows. And verse 4, it says, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Sometimes I come to preach, and I, though I work with an outline and some bullet points here, there is a reality to, 
to the fact that I don't even know what I'm going to say sometimes, literally. I mean, it's kind of like you're out there on the, on the, on the edge. And yet God knows. And, and yet God uses it all to his glory. Even before there is a word on my tongue, how does God do this? How does he know my preformed speech before I even make the next sentence? Before the words even hit my tongue and bounce to your ear, God knew what I would say, and he knows what you would say before it even comes out of our mouths. You know, I think of, um, I think of if you've been married for any length of time, you know that your spouse can begin to kind of read your mind. Have you ever had this where you are talking, you're in conversation with your husband or wife? And yeah, it is kind of scary, isn't it? It's like, and you can finish each other's words and you know what they're thinking and you know where they're going. And sometimes you can just look at your spouse and, you know, send the, send the message that needs to be sent, right? And it's because there's an intimacy there. It's because you know one another there. But here God knows you so well that before you even know what you're trying to say, he knows what you will say. And this is our preformed speech, every prayer before it's prayed, every tear before it's shed, every anxiety before it's even expressed. God knows, and this is our God. He knows our preformed speech. Let me give you another one, fifthly, or I don't know what number we're on. Uh, he, he knows your personal limitations and boundaries. Oh, I need a God to know this for me because sometimes I don't know my own limitations and boundaries. Can anyone relate to that? But verse 5, it says here, you have enclosed me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. In other words, we, we all have limitations, we all have boundaries, and God has set those boundaries for us. And he encloses us around and before, on each side. And though Job may not sense it, though we may not sense it sometimes, nonetheless, he is there. It's these personal boundaries, where, where I start and where I stop, what I can do and what I can't do, what my, what my abilities are and what my inabilities are. God knows all of these things, and there's a sense in which he's designed this, that, that he's closed us in, and, and there's a sense in which we've all been closed in by God. It's a magnificent thing, and this does not cause us to fear. This is, should cause us to have comfort. That, that he is surrounding us and even causing us to have those limitations. And it says, you have, you have laid your hand upon me. And uh, this is just the beautiful imagery of, of the fact that we're not talking about omniscience as some, some uh, scientific or philosophical idea, but it is a personal reality with our God. And so in verse 6 here, we conclude that such knowledge, and that's what we're talking about here, right? Scientia, such knowledge, is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. For verse 6, we could summarize that just by saying that this knowledge is unfathomable knowledge. It's unfathomable. We can't even begin to grasp this knowledge. And he offers the psalmist, that is, these sweet words of reflection on the omniscience of God. This is a man of God who knows his God, who knows him. And that's the relationship aspect of, uh, our, of our faith, that, that we know our God and that he knows us. This is reminiscent of Psalm 131 and verse 1. If you want to just flip back a couple pages, Psalm 131, 1 says, 
O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. There's a sense in which the psalmist just relies on God, who knows all things, to try to figure out the issues of my life. And then I love verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Just such beautiful imagery here. As a result of being able to rely on the omniscient God, I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. See the tenderness there? You see the, the tender affection of the child of God leaning against the provider and the source of nutrients and nurture as a mother, as a child who's who's completely satisfied uh, leaning against his, his mother. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So we can only hope in the Lord if we know that, that he knows all things, though. Well, let me just expand upon this. I think you're getting the point really quick here. We don't have to spend a whole lot more time. Some additional scripture that supports this beyond the text here. 1 John 3.20 says, God knows all things. God never learns. He never discovers. He's never surprised by anything. He never investigates anything. He, he doesn't have to learn anything because he knows everything perfectly and exhaustively. You'll be familiar with Hebrews 4.13 where it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him who we have to do. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows everything. Nothing in the external world. Nothing in the internal world. Nothing in the private world of the heart. He knows everything. And 2 Chronicles 16.9 says his eyes move to and fro throughout the earth, searching, scrutinizing, exploring, looking, testing, examining everything. Everything is laid open to, to God. Job 28.24 says he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under heaven. This is the omniscient God, knowing the past, knowing the present, knowing the future, and even knowing the possibilities. And we could explore that if you'd like, but the things which would occur, the things which should occur, the things which could occur, but which don't occur. How does that work? I don't know, but God knows them. He knows all of the complexities, all the possibilities, that even in the area of, of potential reality. So in summary, God knows all things. And would you note that this is an incommunicable attribute. We, we can possess knowledge, but we cannot possess, possess all knowledge, omnip, uh, um, omniscient knowledge. And uh, so we have a portion of this, but it is incommunicable in its display that we have learned this morning here. Now I just want to apply this before we move to the second point here. Um, to the unbeliever, this, um, this generates fear, and it should generate fear, because you know that God knows that you have something to hide. And when you hear about the omniscience of God, you realize, I can't hide anymore. He sees all things. And this produces fear, this produces guilt, this produces concern, because you don't want your past brought up. You don't want your present brought up. You don't want your future brought up, even though it hasn't occurred yet. You know you don't want it brought up. And so as an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know God, this should alarm you. This should concern you. This should generate fear in you. It should be frightening and terrifying to consider the God of the universe knows everything about you. 
and opens your heart bare before him. I would suggest to you, if you find yourself in the category of being an unbeliever, to run towards your fear. Run towards the God who you fear because the scripture does call us to have a healthy fear for God, but that's the only way is by facing that fear and facing what you do have to hide. But for the believer, but for the believer, it is a much different emotion. It's a much different response. It's a response of comfort. It's a response of the absence of worry. As the unbeliever doesn't want some skeleton jumping out of his closet, our skeletons are always known to God. And he is, through the process of sanctification, slowly rooting those skeletons out of our closets anyway. And we don't fear that. He knows. And despite knowing, here is where the greatest comfort to the believer comes. Despite knowing everything about us, he still loves us. He still cares for us. He still holds us in his grasp. He still hems us in, in front and behind, and he will never leave us or forsake us. Despite this knowledge that he has of us, he has grace towards us and mercy towards us, and he manifests love each day and goodness to, towards us, and we will continue to study those things, skeletons and all. It's a wonderful, wonderful reality to know that your God loves you despite fully knowing you. Because this is, one of the, this is one of the challenges of our human love for one another, right? Because the moment we find something out about the person that we supposedly ought to be loving, we're like, ugh, can I still love that person, right? And, and by the way, we're supposed to love all men. And, and so we, when we find out, then that love gets questioned. But this is the magnificence of our God. He knew these things even before we found them out about ourselves. And he set his love on us really from all eternity. So for the unbeliever, fear, but run towards your fear. But for the believer, this is a, this is a great response of worship that we would have as a result of our omniscient, all-knowing God. Well, we could almost stop there. That's probably a sermon in itself, but um, I think we're going to just push on with one more attribute. We won't do three today, but let's try to get through another one here with the time we have left. God has been displayed in verses 1 through 6 as omniscient. Now we're going to look at his omnipresence because this also has a tremendous benefit for a believer, verses 7 through 12. So under point B, or let's see, where are we at? Point 2, that ended up at the bottom of your page there, sorry. Um, point 2 is God is omnipresent. Point 1, he is omniscient. Point two, he is omnipresent. Now let's define this so we know what we're talking about. Omnus, again, is the word what? All. And this now is the word presentia, which is probably the word what? From Latin, to be present. To be present. So here, in all ways and in all manners, present. Or ever-present. Or omnipresent. That's where we get this word from. And this kind of reminds me of Psalm 46.1. You say again, does, do these definitions come from the Bible? Well, they do. In, in Psalm 46.1, you'll remember this. God is our refuge and strength, a very, what? Present help in trouble. 
Therefore I will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the ever-present nourishment and presence of God, Psalm 46, 1 there. I kind of think of that. But as we define this here, it's the attribute of God whereby he is present at all times. Easy enough, right, to understand in writing, a little bit hard to understand in life. How can God be present at all times and in every possible space and location? I could have really used the ability to be omnipresent today, where it feels like you're responsible to be at two different places at once, and literally I'm, I'm saying to my, my wife, what do I do? Where do I go? Which one? And, and so I tried to... Did you guys hear last week's sermon, the uh, one foot on land and one in shore and <laughs> yeah I mean that's our lives sometimes you know and that's been our lives for several years but for a couple decades but the the point being is I think you can relate to that the, the utter benefit that it would be to be omnipresent but we're not this is another incommunicable attribute we're studying here well let's look to see if the text supports the idea of God being omnipresent here Psalm 139 again beginning in verse 7 this first point here in verse 7 kind of just summarizes the extent of God's presence. If you want to just write that in for verse 7. It's kind of the uh, banner point of God's general extent of his omnipresence. He asks a rhetorical question, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He asks this rhetorical question to make a point. The answer, where can I go? Where can I flee? Where can I run? Nowhere. You can run nowhere. You can go nowhere. You can move nowhere to avoid the presence of God, for he is everywhere. You can try to evade the police, which was uh, part of what was happening this morning. You can try to evade responsibility. You can try to evade even your own conscience, which some do, and they fool themselves, and they deceive themselves, but you cannot avoid the, the overarching omnipresence of God. God. Remember, God is spirit, right? We've already studied these attributes. God is spirit. He is infinite. He is immense. And his spirit is everywhere. And thus, he is everywhere. You say, well, where is everywhere? Well, the text tells you where that is. Verse 8, it says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And we would expect to find God in heaven, right? That's, that's where his throne is and such. So if I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. God should be in heaven. But will you also note... Verse 8, if I make my bed in Sheol, that is the grave, that's all that word means is the grave, if, if I make my bed or if I go to the grave, behold, you are also there. Interesting. God is, is high in heaven, but he's also deep low in the depths of the earth. He's in the grave. If I make my bed in the grave, if I'm placed in a coffin, or God forbid, one of my phobias in life is is to uh, ever be buried alive. Have you ever thought of this? I mean, have you ever read stories even? Um, I remember reading some stories on the Holocaust where they would sometimes bury people alive. And I thought, what, what would, I would be so terrified if I were buried alive and had to undergo that. What would I do in that panicky, suffocating feeling? But you know what? Isn't it good to know that God has communicated in Psalm 139 that if I die and just go to heaven, God is there. But if I go to the grave and face the most fearsome death of being buried alive. For me, that's like the worst. 
but God is there. God is there. And you know what? That's not it. God is also in the spirit world. What happens when my body finally dies? Uh, look at verse 9. Uh, if I take the wings of the dawn, beautiful. I think there's a song based on this, I'll Fly Away. I think that's what it's based on here. And it's a wonderful, wonderful song, worshiping the, uh, God for the idea that he'll, he'll cause us to fly away. But if I take the, the wings of the dawn and I enter the spirit world, is God going to be in the spirit world? Will he see me? Will he find me? Will I be able to find him in the spirit world? The answer is yes, because he is there, it says. If I take the wings of the dawn and if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea. I mean, we can just keep listing here. He's, he's in heaven. He's in the grave. He's in the spirit world. He's in the sea, verse 9. What if I am, am buried at sea? What if I drowned in the ocean? And many have because in the book of Revelation, it says the sea will give up its dead. But if I were to drown, if I were to be buried, whatever, behold, you are there. And then, verse 10, it says, He is present as a guide and protector. A guide and protector. Will you note, it says, Even there, your hand will lead me. In, in, in all of these places, some better, some worse, some pleasant to be, some not so pleasant to be, God is there, and He's not just there watching, saying, Yeah, I'm here, you're good, just relax. No, no. He's saying, Even there, your hand will lead me. Your hand will lead me. This, this kind of reminds me of uh, Psalm 23 and verse 4, right? You know it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. You are present. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I, I can eat. I, I can actually enjoy a meal surrounded by enemies because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a great, great comfort. He is present as a guide and protector. But will you note in verse 10, it says, uh, your, your, uh, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. We learned what the right hand of God is, right? The hand of his power, the hand of his strength. Does God have hands? There's a right answer to this if you've been tracking. He doesn't have hands. But God is saying that I am leading you with power. I am leading you with strength. I am leading you with dexterity and competence of my right hand. I'd take his left hand. I would be happy if God gave me his left hand. I'd be good. But he gives me and he gives you, dear believer, his right hand to lay hold of me, verse 10. And will you note, as he's guiding us and protecting us, he will even do so in the darkness. Jot down the darkness, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. In other words, God is guiding us in even the dark. And children, you're here today. I'm so glad you're here. Isn't the dark a little bit scary? Aren't you sometimes a little afraid of the dark? I used to kind of be afraid of the dark and I still kind of am once in a while. Um, sometimes I get home late from work and and sometimes I find myself looking around corners and sometimes I see my shadow and sometimes all there is is the moon or sometimes there's no moon out. Or maybe when you're, when you're home on your bed and you're saying your prayers before you go to sleep at night and mommy or daddy turns out the lights and it can be scary and you wonder, is there something under the bed? Is there something in the closet and all that? And I don't want to scare you if you've never wondered that, but <laughs> if you're like me, if you're like me, 
Kiddos, do you ever have fear? Do you ever wonder? Well, you don't have to wonder anymore because look, even the darkness is not dark to you, verse 12. Even the darkness, it's dark to us, but the darkness to God is not, look at verse 12, and the night is as bright as the day to God. To God. Now it looks dark to us, but to God it's irrelevant. Irre look at your text. Darkness and light are alike to thee. They are the same. There is no different. God doesn't differentiate. Oh, I, I can't see this because it's being done in darkness. Oh, I'm not going to notice this. Oh, there won't be accountability for this because I can't see in the dark. No, God can see in the dark as if it were bright light. And he can do this because he's independent of light. He's independent of darkness. He doesn't have to depend on either one of them. He can see in the dark because he is in the dark. Well, I won't take much time to expand this um, underneath there, but um, there is a lot of scripture that talks about God being in the heights of heaven. We'll maybe take a look at this next week. God uh, is near on the earth. I'll point out that God is in the depths of hell, punishing the ungodly. He's there. Uh, uh, scripture talks about it, Revelation 14.10, we can look at that another time. And most of all, Christian, he is present with you. He is present helping you, guiding you, leading you. In summary, God is everywhere. This is a non-communicable attribute. We share presentia, we're present, but God is omnipresent. I am comforted by this truth often when I fly. I haven't flown in a little bit here recently, but... I'm very comforted by this truth. For some reason, when I fly, I step onto that plane and I sense just an amazing presence of God. I don't know if I'm the only one. Maybe for some, flying is very nerve-wracking. And I've seen some people have trouble flying and it actually go into panic attacks. But for me, for some reason, I just am reminded of this truth that God is present when I step on that plane. And then when a plane gets into the air, I am also reminded in the air where we're kind of soaring, cruising altitude, and it just feels relaxing and I just sense God is here and God has me and because <laughs> short of that I mean uh, you know you're relying on the plane which can fall out of the air and you're relying on the pilot which can have error but I, I just I just tend to kind of fall into the idea that God has this and then when I land I realize that God is here and he has been here and he has guided this process but do you know that God is wherever if I'm if I'm flying out of, you know, California and I'm flying to Minnesota and I'm in the, in the air between, he is in all of those places. And so he does that for me and he does that for each and every one of you when we travel or when we move and, and for in him we have our, our being. But uh, again, let's just conclude here. God is everywhere. We cannot be everywhere. For the unbeliever, this does strike fear, as it should. Same application. To think, unbeliever, that wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you think and say, whatever your actions are, God is present there watching. When you think no one's looking, when you think you've got this one licked, God sees. God sees in the dark and in the light. And God sees every action. His eyes see every action. His ears hear every word. His mind judges every motive. 
as I've said before, he's in every movie theater, he's in every boardroom, he's in every bedroom, he's in every private closed door conversation, no such thing, no such thing. God is there, hearing, judging, deciphering the heart. And that causes fear for the unbeliever who is not right with God and senses the reality of that guilt, which needs to be taken to Christ, which needs to be given to God, the very source of the fear. That's the thing that's so uh, counterintuitive about these truths, is that the very one that you are running from, you need to turn around and run, run to. Run to Christ. Run to, to God who sent him. But for the believer, and I'll close with this. For the believer, the truth of God's omnipresence is not something that causes us to fear. We want him with us, do we not? We want him to be with us and to know, same words, that wherever you go and whatever you do and whatever you say and whatever may concern you for the day, God is with you. What a fabulous, fabulous truth to know as a believer. God is there, and this is a comfort to us. And I'll tell you, one of the most difficult things to deal with as a human is to suffer rejection, is it not? To, to suffer being rejected by friends, peers, even enemies can, can cause pain, that rejection that we have. Well, God will never reject you. And God will never leave you as orphans and leave you lonely. God is there to you, believer. This is a comfort. He is present with you. The God of the universe is with you. So know that in life and in death, in trial and tribulation, in victory and defeat, there is one who says, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And this is our God. And I would just call you week after week to behold our God, to look into his beauty, as we looked at just two today, his omniscience and his omnipresence. We'll leave the third one for next week, uh, Lord willing. And we'll talk about the omnipotence of God. You could study ahead if you'd like. Uh, that's going to be verses 13 to 16. But we'll close with that. And uh, I want to just thank you for your time and attention on this and uh, praying that this finds a, a deep root in each and every one of your hearts. Let's pray together here. Actually, let's stand. We've been sitting for a little bit here. And I think we can dismiss at this point, right? Okay, let me just uh, close us off in prayer and uh, we'll give this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for the exciting truth that you have in your word. Thank you for its clarity that uh, it just unfolds before our very eyes. And God, this truth uh, means so much to us. We, we need to know that, that you know. We need to know that you understand. We need to know that the paths that we are on sometimes are confusing to us. Sometimes we don't know the outcome, but we know that you know and you understand and you have hemmed us in and lord thank you that uh there is nowhere that we can go from your spirit and that we don't want to run and we don't want to hide and that we want you in our lives and we invite you to be ever more uh, manifesting your presence in our lives that we can see your traces and work in us and father i do just pray today that if there would be someone who is terrified by these attributes and that it is indicating perhaps that they are not right with you. Lord, today would be that day. Lord, would today be the day that they would say, okay, I'm done running. I, I realize I can't run anymore. And, and, and if I run anymore, I'm going to run to you, the only one that can help. And so thank you for sending your son. And thank you that by faith, by turning from our sin and turning to embrace a living and true God, we can be forgiven. 
And I would just ask that today if anyone is here that needs that, that you would encourage them, Lord, by your spirit to do that very thing. Father, thank you for this group that we could meet again today in person. Thank you for the song and just the spirit which you've provided to this body. And we bless you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.